this is Reaching the Finish Line. And I'm your host, Callan Dix. Check out the website, www.reachingthefinishline.com. And pick up my free report. Save up to 75% what they don't want you to know. ReachingTheFinishLine.com Welcome. Today, I am delighted to have Leif Abraham. Leif was the co-founder of Pay With A Tweet, the first social platform where people was able to pay with the value of their social network. Every time somebody paid with a tweet, uh, the tweet uh, told their friends about the product. And now he's a co-founder of Anco. Anco is the platform for self-employed project management, changing the landscape of work issues in America by introducing structural support and dignity for the freelancer. Leaf, welcome. What's going on? I- I'm doing good. How about yourself? <laughs> I'm doing wonderful. Thank you. Great. Leaf, you know, how did you, st- how did you get started on your entrepreneur journey? You know, was your parents entrepreneurs? You know, you know, wh- you know where did it start? Yeah, so I'm originally German, like you very likely will realize in a second, just based on my accent and such. Um, and so when I was super, super young, I basically taught myself some coding and some design. So like straightforward HTML and like PHP 3 at the time and so on. And started basically coding um, a website on video games. Mm. And so uh, and, that's, and that's just how I kind of got started. And then I had like a lucky hand on some on some affiliate marketing and so on. I made some money on that. And so I started funding fan sites for video games back in Germany. And um, and, and basically that kind of turned into like one of the biggest like ad networks for gaming at the time back in Germany. And that, that was kind of like my very first like entrepreneurial type of thing. And that was literally out of my kid's room. So I did that when I was like 16 and 19 or so. Wow. That's, that's, must, must have been pretty exciting for you at such a young age. Yeah, like, like the funniest thing I always say is that basically every contract I signed at the time was legally not really valid because I wasn't even 18 yet. Um, <laughs> but, but obviously, but obviously no, one, like, no one actually knew that. Um, but yeah, no, totally. Great. And, you know, one thing that I'm fascinated by was to see that you were the co-founder or you, I mean, you still technically are, you're, you're the co-founder of uh, Pay With A Tweet. And I was fascinated by that because that has been something i've actually used in the past uh, and, and you know just to see that just to see that you actually was one of the people that started that uh was you know i found that so interesting because i i've, I've always I always thought that the idea was genius you know to be able to sell your products with a tweet you know that's like the first social platform so let's talk about that what, what was that what was the brainchild behind that you know you know how did you come up with the idea that was fairly straightforward. So uh, my buddy and I um, basically worked in ad agency world for a little while, and we were always on the digital uh, like side of it. And so around like between like 2005 and 2008 type, it was basically um, kind of like the new thing to do like actual creative work in digital on the advertising side, not just make banner ads and such. And so uh, um, and so we kind of like had like a lucky hand in that, and basically. Um, like did like did a, did, a, did, a, did a little bit of campaign work in the past that um, you know that won some awards and stuff like that, and so we started writing a book about that topic, 
And then we wrote that book, which, which was called, oh my God, what happened and what should I do? Basically, obviously about that change. Um, obviously, like we weren't necessarily famous enough that we would get a book deal right away. And like our goal with it was really just to be, hey, wouldn't it be awesome if we get like a bunch of self-promo out of this? And like, yeah, wouldn't it be great if just everyone tweets about it? And that's literally where the spark came from. So the, like, the, the very, very first version of Pay With A Tweet was basically just a campaign for the own book that we wrote. And then as we built it, we were like, wait a minute, why are we only just doing this for ourselves? Like, this can be a product that anyone could use. And then we basically just, you know, uh, I think I literally, you know, paid a buddy of mine that worked with me at this one company, like 700 bucks to just like build that very, very MVP, you know, of like, like of this product. And this MVP actually stayed to be that product for like another year or so after that. And, um, yeah, and then basically from there, we launched it together with the book. And I think because we launched it together with the book, that was also a reason of why it actually had um, um, kind of like some like good initial traction because there was a very specific use case that people could try out. And that use case was also within the topic of marketing because the book was obviously about advertising and marketing. And so I think that kind of drove it uh, uh, obviously pretty nicely. Like a lot of things came randomly together that basically um, um, you know, pushed it right from the start. So, Leaf, uh, yeah, that, that's 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 excellent to hear. Uh, so, did you just have one co-founder? Did you have two co-founders? In Payload Tweet, it was just one. It was literally just like my buddy that I, it was another German guy I moved with from the from Germany to the US, and we always worked together in these like in these uh, agencies. And so, we wrote the book together, and we also founded Payload Tweet together. I see. So, after Payload Tweet, you know, you know, once you you know, once you stepped away from that, you know, what was next for you on your journey? Um, so that was basically, I moved to San Francisco. So my buddy stayed at that company for, for, for a little while longer and then moved to Australia and such. And I moved to San Francisco to join a company called West Studios over there. So West Studios is kind of like a um, startup consultancy that was started by the former, um, by the former uh, VP marketing from Apple. So kind of like basically the CMO of Apple at the time. Um, and so that was basically a company that, you know, worked with tech startups to basically help them define their brand and so on. And I was going into that as basically a product guy with a marketing background, right? So that was always a little bit my, like my, you know, special area, so to say. And so I mostly worked with, uh, worked with RDO over there, the former Spotify competitor. And a little bit of Jawbone and like a tiny bit of Venmo also as well. Um, and so I basically did the type of, you know, things like, um, you know, a smarter invite system in the app, the app that, that you would use at the music festival for audio. How can you use, you know, the music content that someone like audio has, um, you know, in ads and marketing purposes and things like that. And so, uh, yeah. What were some of the challenges that you had uh, in your entrepreneurial journey? Um, I think in general for me it was that I started um, – Basically, like I started in the more startupy, like entrepreneurial type of, um, um, you know, side when I was super, super young, and then basically ended up by accident in like ad agency land. And then I stuck to ad agency land for a long time. And I think the biggest thing was basically to to kind of switch careers out of it again. Obviously. I was always like I was always very heavy product guy, so it was still in terms of that I was the dude who had to build apps and so on. Mm -hmm. But um, um, I think the biggest thing for me really was of like switching back into startup and entrepreneurship um, from being uh, from having been in agency land for a little while. Mm, I see, I see. And let's talk about if we can go back to pay with a tweet. 
what was the size of the team that you had? Was it relatively small? You know, was it was was it more on a on a larger scale? You know, I know as an app, sometimes these apps could typically be a be a small team. Other apps could be typically a bit bigger. What was the scale of of that team when you was a pay with a tweet? Super tiny. So it was really ran as a side project, mm. and so it was me, my buddy, um, managing it like literally next to our full time job. And then we pulled in, um, on the engineering side, we pulled in another buddy from Germany called Alex, who then basically took over the code base and helped us develop it further and so on. But also he, he did that also more like a you know, side project side. And that's also where it kind of reached this like point at a, you know, because I kind of grew up organically. So every major record label used it. And then like, you know, Mitt Romney used it to give away his jobs plan when he ran for president and mm-hmm. all these types of things. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of blew up organically. And so it really got to this point where like, okay, Either we, you know, have to like quit our jobs now and, you know, really try to make this a startup. Let's try to get some funding for it and, you know, make it like and try to really make it big. Or um, we just, you know, keep it running as a side project and then likely it will have a slow death at some point, right? Or um, we actually give it to someone to basically run it. And that's when we sold it to another company builder back in, New York, uh, back in Hamburg called Hansa Ventures. Mm-hmm. And then they basically like bought it from us. Mm-hmm. Um, we all kept a little piece of equity in it uh, uh, after that as well. But then, but then like they actually like incorporated it. It wasn't even incorporated before, right? So they actually made a company oh, out wow. of it. They had the first funding rounds for it. And then they actually built like a, like an eight person team around it and such that then, you know, started like started actually running it. Oh, and, okay. that's, and, and then, you know, and then basically they kind of took it over. Mm-hmm. That's now about two and a half years ago. Wow. Yeah, th- that's what I think I learned about pay with a tweet. I think it was about 2014. I kind of came, I kind of learned about, about it a bit late. But again, I've always thought the idea was genius. And I've used it uh, multiple times to encourage people like, you know, when, I, when I'm offering like a like a freebie, like a like a book or something like that, I, w- I will often tell uh, the people via social media or my email list that they could pay with a tweet. And it can be up. So again, you know, you know, kudos to you in that regard to be able to successfully I'll sell it. Start with a free audiobook. Go to reachinthefinishline.com and scroll to the bottom of the page to click on the Audible banner to get your free audiobook. You may not have a lot of free time, but you can definitely listen to a book on a plane, on the bus, or even while you're driving. Go to reachinthefinishline.com and scroll to the bottom of the page to click on the Audible banner to get your free audiobook. Start reaching the finish line with your free audiobook. I think that's I think that's a challenge that people have, you know, when they start small and you know they they grow organically and they start to take off as sometimes they sometimes they have the fears that they can't handle the growth because it's the the growth is uh the growth is kind of preceding them. So what would be some tips that you can offer uh, the audience to help them to be able to get a good grasp of an idea like yours that grew so quickly? So first off, I would say, if that happens, it's a high five problem, right? So like, like high five problems, basically meaning of like, when this problem occur, like occurs, we're going to give ourselves a high five first, and then, we're figure, <laughs> and, and then, we, and then we're actually going to figure it out. And, <laughs> and, so, and so, so I would say like, it's really, really hard to plan for that, right? So like this was like also fast. It was really just like, so to say, uh, like by accident, like I would love to be able to tell that this was super strategically planned and everything, but mm-hmm. to be very honest, it wasn't right. If it would have been, it wouldn't have been a side project for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
I think it's obviously very, very hard to plan for that. And, and I think when you're starting something, you should kind of know in the beginning of, um, you know, what this will be for you. And Paper the Tweet was really kind of like, we did that because we needed to solve a problem for ourselves and how we actually going to distribute our book and how we get even like any attention for it, right? Without any money and or PR agency or whatnot, you know, no one knew us or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And so, um, um, so it was mostly for us to kind of like a, just like our solution to our own problem. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you know, and then from there, I just blew up. And so for us, it was never like Pay With The Three was never really the, like that product that we were thinking of, like, if I start a company, it's going to be this. And so I think, like, I think it's very, very important to, um, when you have these ideas and, you know, you know, especially if you're someone who just, you know, builds a bunch of products all the time and so on, um, to kind of come up with something I like to call a kill list. And so a kill list basically being like that checklist that you create for yourself uh-huh. where you have a bunch of points on where um, basically the new idea that you have it has to hit every of these boxes. And if it doesn't, you might not even like, or like you shouldn't even produce, uh, um, 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 pursue it. I see. And I think that's something that I personally learned out of that, right? So um, I build a bunch of little side products and projects where just like I was just intrigued by the idea and because I like to make stuff I just make these things but also with that basically invested a lot of time into a bunch of little products that I obviously learned something out of but I also invested time in things that I then you know never actually you know really pursued in the end like um, I built this like location-based social network with a buddy of mine and then we built the entire app we put it live mm-hmm. and then once it was live we just didn't do anything with it, and it was and it was just lying there. We never even really announced it, and then mm. we just were already and we and we were already on to other things now, ads and stuff like that. So I think it's really important that you kind of you know have like your like checklist or like your kill list of things like like of the boxes it has to hit, where you know like okay, so my personal skills are applied the best here. This is a problem I personally really care about. Um, would you like would you quit your full time job for like for doing this, mm. et cetera, et cetera, and like. And so that it kind of hits more boxes than just, oh, it's an intriguing idea or, or it seems like a great business opportunity, you know, like selling credit online. I found this really great way of I can sell credit to people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do a great business opportunity. We can definitely make money with it. But will I be happy with it? No, oh, question mark. Yeah. Um, and, so, and so I think, like, I think it's important to just have that um, um, like, right at the, like right at the beginning to just judge you know, where you're going. For sure, for sure. And that kind of goes into productiv- productivity, which is very important. And that's what kind of leads you up to with your, with your new company because you want to help freelancers uh, become more productive. And, uh, and, and you're the co-founder of ANCO, uh, which, as I stated before, is a self-employed uh, project management uh, platform uh, for freelancers. So let's, let's talk about that idea because actually, you know, I, I found it quite interesting um, recent study says um, uh, the freelance union says that freelancers make up about 35 percent of America. And uh, nowadays, people don't want to get involved with invoices, spreadsheets and all that stuff. And it seems that you have this platform that kind of streamlines everything. Let's talk about that for a bit. Yeah, so Enco came from when um, when I joined a venture firm in New York called Prehype. It's kind of like an incubator. So Barkbox came out of Prehype, ManageBarQ mm. came out of Prehype, and now Enco is the next one. But how that model is structured, that every partner is technically an own entity. Mm-hmm. And so when I joined Prehype, I technically need to hire, et cetera, et cetera. And it's kind of like it's like it's not that you just have this you know, like this like specific standard that you follow. Mm-hmm. And then also just from like a software perspective, most software is designed for like, 
you know, small businesses and you can use it as a freelancer, but it's not really, but it's not really made for you as a freelancer. And so it's very heavily seen from the, you know, perspective uh, of a business, but not necessarily from the perspective of a worker. And as a freelancer, you're kind of in between of those, right? You're a worker that has to manage their work like a business. Indeed. And, and so, yeah, and so that's where, like, that's, like, that's where, the, where the main thing came from, of, like, can we actually define a standard for um, running a freelance business? And if you define a standard, can you actually create kind of like a plug and play for being freelance? So, like, a place where I can go, I sign up, and now I'm freelance. And there's no learning curve, nothing else I need to know, and the system itself will tell you what, like, what you need to know next. And that's, so, so that's kind of where, like, where we were coming from. Great, great. And, and, uh, you definitely, you definitely kind of, uh, I think, I think you're kind of ahead uh, when it comes to uh, such a platform that can can, de- can definitely be a need. I mean, uh, maybe, maybe, uh, what would you call it like the Uber for freelancers? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like the big thing is really also that specifically when it comes to like admin work, like the back office stuff, is that most freelancers they either don't know how to do it well, mm-hmm. or um, like, or they also just have have no interest in doing it, right? Mm-hmm. So the major thing is really that um, that suddenly, like, when you turn freelance, you suddenly have to take care of all that stuff, right? And like, if you like, you work in a big corporation, then mm-hmm. everything is funneled through the organization, right? So mm-hmm. and, and specifically in the US, even also everything is funneled through it because you know that's how your health insurance is managed, that's how you pay your social security taxes, mm-hmm. you know that's. Like the organization takes care of all the like you know back office you know finance tasks and all that kind of stuff, and so you just focus on your job, and then suddenly you turn freelance and you, oop, you have and you have to do everything yourself, mm. and then you know like if you ask a you know freelance designer of like you know if they've defined a list of accounts for themselves, so it'll be like what is it, and um, and so for us it's really the big thing of that um, creating an experience where the um, where the system takes care of you or the product takes care of you, not the other way around. And by that, also kind of like destroying that learning curve and so on, right? So mm-hmm. you don't have to learn the basis of accounting to use Enco. You know, you have to learn the basis of accounting if you need to use an accounting software for sure, um, and so on. And so that's really kind of like where we where we you know dive into of like, okay, so what's like the most simplest solution possible to you know to uh, basically get people or like to to take these to take these things off the table. Yeah, it's great. It's like it's like a it's like a freelancer's assistant. You know, the freelancer could essentially just focus on their work. They don't have to worry about all the other things, the invoices, the spreadsheets, all that. They could focus on doing whether it's graphic design, whether it's writing, uh, whether it's whatever whatever they're doing. They could specifically focus on that. And you know, for a platform like 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 yours, uh, you know, everything else can be done for them, and they can uh, essentially maximize their productivity. Because uh, when you say uh, maybe about you know twenty to 25 percent of a typical freelancer's time is probably you know figure you know try, try to do invoices and spreadsheets and accounting wouldn't you say that maybe about 20 percent of that time is dedicated to that yeah and I, like obviously like it, like it depends on the nature of the worker right so mm-hmm. it depends on how many clients you have um how frequent you for example invoice these people how much you have to manage expenses right so if you're a freelance photographer for example mm-hmm. you might have much more you know expenses you have to manage because you rent a studio you rent potentially equipment you know etc mm-hmm. etc et and so it really like it really depends on the nature of the worker really of like you know how much like how much uh, time that takes for them and uh, but yeah, but totally like like a massive amount of time kind of gets lost in these tasks um, that you also don't make money with, right? Mm-hmm. So this is purely this is purely kind of like unbillable time that you you know have to that you kind of like giving up there, and so. On. 
Indeed, that's, that's exactly what it is. Unbelievable time. It's really time. It's, it's really time that you have to dedicate because if you don't, you don't get paid. You know, you, you have to invoice your clients if you want to get paid. So, but uh, but yeah, definitely. Um, uh, you know, this you know, the platform like yours makes it easy. And this this platform uh, launches tomorrow. Want the full episode? You can get it when you become a Prim Twenty Premium Radio subscriber. Go to reachingthefinishline.com forward slash buy to get your premium subscription today get one hour commercial free episodes private mastermind calls with our guests and much more go to reachingthefinishline.com forward slash buy to get your premium subscription for just another way to help you start reaching your finish line yeah, so we're just going out of uh, we're just going going basically out of beta. So we had um, we were on private beta since last October, and then we opened it up um, earlier this year, uh, just for everyone to kind of dive in and uh, uh, try it out. And now we're basically just moving the apps out of like out of beta as we've obviously like you know progressed in product development and such like that. But yeah, yeah, I haven't heard you mention it, but is this something that you bootstrap, or is this something that you've received outside funding? from maybe uh maybe like crowdfunding or maybe uh investors no we have that yeah, we have we're a venture funded startup we raised uh two and a half million dollars altogether. oh okay um, for this one exactly okay oh, please continue oh, yeah okay yeah and <laughs> so like like our so our investors include thrive capital um red swan ventures the designer fund out of san francisco um obviously pre as well uh box group in new york uh, and a couple of great angels Great. Okay. Let's let's talk about venture capital cuz this is something that, you know, people are very interested in, but oftentimes they don't know the steps to really get involved with it. You know, uh, you know, I I had some people in the past to talk about this a little bit, and it seems like everyone kind of, you know, the, the, the kind of has their different take on it. And uh, so so you know, you know, since you kind of went through this process, I think this is your second time going through this process, right? It's, the, it's the first it's time I was paid with a tweet, and this technically the first time. So I mean, like the second time of like the so like, so like the first time paid with a tweet was completely bootstrapped. Okay. And then and then we basically and then we basically sold it to um, uh, to the other company builder in Germany, and then they raised funding over there. But oh, I, yes. So yes, you're right. Technically, yeah. it's your first time. Okay. So let's talk about that process because again, I know a lot of people are interested and raising venture capital, but they don't have a format, they don't have a guide, they have no idea where to start and how to even get involved in the scene. You know, uh, let's first talk about, you know, what were some of your challenges, you know, and that way you can give contrast to the audience on what things they should avoid when trying to seek venture capital. I think the very first question you have to ask yourself is why do you need venture capital? And um, I think uh, often people might fall into the mode of like I started like I start some tech startup, so the first thing I have to think about is venture capital. And um, I think it's really kind of like first the question of what are you trying to achieve, and do you need venture capital to achieve that? And so I think if you like obviously like the the the, um, the greater and the grander the vision um, of where you want to uh, push this, and the more you think, um, for example, time and competition. Um, uh, could be uh, it could be a kind of like a differentiating factor for you, or like a you know, or like or like a big success uh, success factor for you. Mm-hmm. I think the more likely you will you will want or should raise venture capital for it. But I think in general, if you're just starting a business in general and you're seeing that as something that basically you just want to make you like like you just want to build your own freedom with and you want to make some money with and so on, 
Um, uh, also think about venture capital as potentially your last option, right? So really think about it as like you're giving up a piece of your company and that is a very serious thing and you're basically also committing to certain business partners, you know, for the life of your company in most cases. Mm. And so and so I think it's a very, very serious decision that people really have to think about in terms of, you know, who they're really partnering with there and and why in the first place, right? So yeah. I think that's like like just starting with that in a sense. And then for us, I think it was really that um, we were obviously also, so to say, lucky that we came out of an environment um, where, um, um, where this has happened a lot, right? So, um, like, we built it out of Prehype, and so, you know, Prehype started BarkBox, Prehype started Managed yeah. by Q, and a couple other companies and so on. And so, and so we already started it out of an environment where, um, um, where we also had basically access to, um, um, you know, to certain investors basically right from the start. And so we might have had a little bit of an unfair advantage at the very, very beginning. Yeah. And, you know, and people who want to check it out is Anne.co. And uh, actually, um, they ha not only have a free membership, but they also have a pre-membership. But if you want to start with the free membership, uh, that's def definitely something you could try. But uh, they also have pre-memberships as well. You know, definitely recommend checking that out, especially uh, you're a freelancer. Myself, you know, I am a, uh, you know, lifestyle entrepreneur. I live in a new country. Uh, every few months and uh you know people who are digital nomads i think this is, will be something ideal for them you know especially people who are hopping around are doing freelance photography doing freelance writing graphic design these types of things uh it's very ideal because again instead of them dedicating 10 to 20 percent of their time uh you know worrying about billing invoicing time they're really losing but they have to invest in the time in order to get paid uh, they can uh, kind of outsource it or have a, a platform like this, like and.co, and, uh, and you guys can take care of that on their behalf. You know, if we could switch back over back to the yeah. venture capital, what, you know, typically, how much uh, can a person expect to give uh, up? Uh, I mean, you know, I guess, how much can a person expect to have to give away their company uh, to give venture capital? Would you say it's 30, 35%? It always depends completely on the scenario and stuff, right? So, like a general yeah. rule is twenty to twenty-five percent per round. Mm. But I again, see. like it completely depends on what you're doing, what you're raising, and how much you're raising, what you're raising for. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and also obviously a little bit of like how is your leverage in this moment, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like if you make a truck ton of money already, for example, you might have you know even also better leverage in terms of you know uh, um, a raising capital. And then obviously, you know, it gets very heavily defined by um, what like how much money you need to raise for the things you have planned with like to do with that money and such you know and so there are a bunch of factors that, that come together to that and end, that in the end really really define this great and and and, and I, I like what you said earlier you know you have to ask yourself you know you know why are you raising it and also too it depends on your your product and service you know so if you have a tech company you know venture capital can be great but as you stated before it, it really should be your last option because you're really putting a lot at stake you know you give you, 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 you're giving a lot of equity you're giving a lot of control uh, you know you, you, you're not gonna you're not gonna you know have the final you might not have the final say on a lot of decisions or maybe the course of the direction you want to take your company in. So uh, it's, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely a lot to consider. 
definitely definitely worth thinking about uh, quite a bit. You know, now if you, if you have something more simplified like a let's say a book, that's something you could crowdfund. You could do something like rewards based crowdfunding, and uh, you can do that because obviously obviously you know the price point is lower, and you know there's there's really not a lot of equity in a book as opposed to a tech company that has the potential to be who knows millions upon upon um, upon millions of dollars. I'm curious, Leaf, you know, because a lot of successful entrepreneurs, you know, they have they have these, uh, you know, they, they have different types of routines, you know. Uh, how does Leaf start his day? You know, is, is there a specific routine that you have to try to keep yourself optimal at 100 percent? What's your routine? <laughs> I'm a total night worker. So I'm the most I'm 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 the most productive when I just stay late in the office. Um, which sounds very sad, I bet. <laughs> but uh, my day starts really by my two and a half year old waking me up at six o'clock in the morning, mm. and um, that's kind of how my day starts. And then I get then I you know uh, hang out with uh, the family a little bit, and then I basically you know uh, get to the, like get to the office and uh, start my day. That's I think very, like relatively straightforward. But I but see. yeah, but like my 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 definite most productive time is uh, is is at night. I right, so that's interesting. You know, for me, it's usually like at midday. You know, I really can't. I'm not really productive like in the morning time. Although I'm not that productive, you know, as it gets later. But usually in the middle of the day, that's where I'm productive. And I, I really feel like you know, you know, every entrepreneur has, has to kind of find their groove. They have to kind of find out, you know, what time of the day are they the most productive. And uh, and the fact of the matter is, uh, everyone is different. As we come to a close. Um, Leaf, uh, tell people, uh, you know, your website and how they can follow you. Sure. So uh, obviously go to and.co, and.co to sign up for Enco. No question. Do that. Um, and then um, my Twitter handle is uh, Life Thunder, L-E-I-F uh, Thunder, just like Thunder, you know. <laughs> um, it, has a, it has a certain history to it. It sounds cheesy right now, but there's some, there's some history to it why it's Life Thunder. Um, so LEIF Thunder and um, my personal website is madewiththeinternet.com if you if you if you want to check that out. But uh, but yeah, for sure, great. And and um, people who are interested, you can definitely uh, get a free membership. Uh, he has that available uh, at and.co, and he will be uh, launching that tomorrow. Hey, Leaf, thank you for being our guest. Thanks, man. So cool, Jeff. Thank you for listening. Just another great episode by Callan Diggs, best-selling author and career strategist at seen at Fast Company and Inc. Magazine. If you're not on an email list, you're missing out. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and subscribe to get all the exclusives.